0: Well, the first cover, you'll notice the aesthetics, the design is less professional. And that was basically because it was me, myself, and I with somebody that I communicated with. I said, I'd like to get the ethos of the sport of baseball and the, and, a, and a, an older card and a newer card. And so that's what I got. And then the other covers that are a little more appealing graphically and aesthetically were, were designed by our team where you know after what me myself and i i got some very talented uh, teammates coming along especially you know in, in design and everything else and so they're there but through it all i mean the first one sold the least but it got us on the map
1: this is in the office and i, and I know that you know this this is hanging up in the office and every so often you'll see a jim beckett autograph on it it's such a revered piece of piece of memorabilia
0: i think out there and what? it still sells on ebay you know it's, it, it's funny to see there weren't when that he's... many there weren't that many i mean it was it was it was uh I would say almost every issue of the baseball, basketball, football, hockey, all the magazines, we printed maybe almost not even to demand as much as to demand and a little bit less. I mean, we didn't try to overproduce anything. That's not true of issue number one. <laughs> issue number one was completely speculation because you know we had some original orders but did not really know uh, what uh, I mean, people didn't know what they didn't what they were missing or what they didn't have. And so the first issue didn't really sell. That great. I mean we had some we had some leftovers but now they're all gone obviously but
1: mm-hmm.
0: so from issue number 1 to issue number 2
1: how I mean how fast did it take to catch on when people saw this and saw what they were getting especially dealers or dealers collectors was was it a big ramp up from 1 to 2?
0: Eric you're so generous with the praise. <laughs> Not only was it not a, not a, a ramp up, it was like a drop off for issue number two. Really? <laughs> and, and then three and then four and then five and then six. And then it started building up and then you could see a kind of a steady climb, but you'll notice if you stack those. So issues two, three, four, five, maybe even six are maybe even tougher than number one to really? get. If you go uh, to eBay or some other place, but then it started climbing and you'll see that part of the climb again was the fact that I had some help in uh, the design and just it just it looked better it looked better and uh, probably I was getting better the team uh, the team was forming and uh, but yeah it it, it wasn't a, a rocket ship it was uh, it, it sputtered a little bit but I was undaunted I mean I was doing it as a labor of love so you know you mm-hmm. can't can't I was unsinkable at that point because I was doing it I still was kind of doing it as a side gig the first couple of years. I got you. Did you still have the card shop as well? No, no. The card shop I pretty much divested before I got into that because even when I was doing the annual price guide, it seemed like, you know, I probably ought to be, you know, backing off on that. And so, but the magazines for sure, you know, monthly Mm -hmm. price guides, that was, that was, that was that was a pretty significant, but again, we only had the one. We didn't have football and basketball and hockey, but I was still doing the books. And then at some point it just got bigger and it, it was sufficient enough that I could start. I didn't take a salary for two years. So I just, you know, but brought along really good people, and and it it came together.
1: So this is going to get a little bit into podcast talk, but one of those really good people you brought along was Dan Hit, and you had him on, I believe, last week or the week before. Dan is a is a numbers guy. You're a numbers guy. I, he Dan is almost like a machine. You put him in front of something, and he just he gets it done. and He works. I love I love that about him. But that that early team. Bringing on good people—that was imperative to the success of, of of Beckett Magazine. Who else was there early on? It was yourself and Dan, and who
0: else? Well, you know, Pepper was before Dan, even. Oh yeah, I remember Pepper. Uh, had some overlap with Pepper, who did a lot of the editorial stuff. That kind of and and it managed some of the the price Guy team. He did a and and did a lot of grading stuff. Helped really help grading get to the get to the popularity it, it now has. So, you know, my sister Claire, you know, who was. Mm-hmm. You know, just there from pretty much the beginning as well, did everything the, the what we did in the beginning. And Dan was Dan was a good example of this is that we really, I think, hired people with high integrity, good work ethic, but they were also versatile. And yet Dan, even though he was versatile, he really he was somebody that I could really trust with football because he was such a football expert. And, of course, I'd known him since he was a teenager because he used to work in the shop that I was part owner of back in the in the late 70s.
1: Mm. That makes a lot of sense then to, to bring him on, to be able to trust him like that. You mentioned grading. What, when you guys were sitting down and, and conceptualizing grading and, and bringing it to, to Beckett, tell me about that process and, and like what went into that to, before the launch.
0: Well, I think at that point, Mark Harwell was the president of the company and really was, uh, had come from a little bit of a coin background and really saw what PSA was doing, mm-hmm. not with envy or jealousy as much as, why aren't we doing that? And so I think I was overly cautious, overly conservative, and probably was listening a little bit too much to critics who would say, well, how can you price the card if you're grading the card? And in reality, you know, so as we batted that around, Grant and Dan were key in that. Wayne Grove was involved in those discussions. Mark Anderson came along pretty early. But like I say, Mark Harwell was kind of messing with the slab and really trying to make sure we had some distinctives that we weren't just a copycat Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the grading of, of the scale and the, and the subgrades and all that, that was, that was, uh, Grant and Dan and Mark and I, I guess Wayne Grove too. So it, it just kind of came together, but it was again, not an overnight success there either. We probably contemplated it for, for more than a year, maybe a mm-hmm. couple of years. And then wow. we jumped out, we jumped in, we had a lot of the price guide guys doing the grading because they were, because that was the antidote to the criticism all along. We had been grading cards. Whenever we were going, I mean, you've been a price guide analyst. When you go, mm-hmm. if you're at a show or you're getting uh it's incomplete data if you just know the price the card sold for, but don't have any conception of the condition. And right. in, in so much of the show sales, there it's just a card sitting there. And if you can't assess that, hey, that was that was in rough shape, that's why it sold for less, or that was pristine and that's why it sold for above. Uh, what we, we said the price was last month. So so it, it kind of goes hand in hand. And over time, that was more accepted. But before we did it, people were saying, I don't know if that's a good idea. And I probably bought into that too much. I understand that.
1: You've been mentioning a lot of names here. Uh, Alex has a good question. Just off the top of your head, of the names that you've mentioned, how many of those
0: people are still involved with the hobby that you know of? Well, a bunch of them are. I mean, Dan uh, is not. But, mm-hmm. you know, Dan is, even though he's not, I've had him on my podcast. It's like he's never been gone because he's doing uh, home inspections. And, you know, he had a long career of really sure. a lot of overtime of, of doing that. Pepper is not in the industry as much, but he's still a huge sports fan. I've had him on the podcast. Mark Harwell's passed away. You know, I did a tribute episode to him, very worthy right. of, of listening. My sister's not in the hobby, but she has her own business and is doing, uh, you know, kind of uh, antiques and crafts and kind of uh, shows with her husband. And and then the rest of them work for Panini. What do you want me to say? <laughs> 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 no, I mean, gr- Grant's at Upper Deck and, and uh, Tracy Hackler's at Panini. And, you know, it's a small, close-knit hobby. And we had a great team, and I'm glad they found places. Because Beckett Media is uh, smaller in its Dallas footprint now than it was... When I was the guy, you know, it's, right. it's shrunk. There's, it's still a, you know, a medium sized company, but it's, they've, they've reconfigured in some ways. And so some of the guys that moved on have stayed in the hobby. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, again, I want to have high integrity, hardworking people involved in a hobby that I love.
1: Right. You know? so Absolutely. I
0: don't want him to leave. Right. And one of
1: those guys, and I'm going to bring it,
0: can you tell me,
1: I just want to ask this because I love the man now, but Jeremy Murray, can you tell me about Jeremy Murray when he started at Beckett? Because who he is now is just a, a complete man of integrity. He's a great guy to work for and work with. But what was he like when he started?
0: He was a diamond in the rough. Really? <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of potential, okay? And that potential, I think, has been and is being realized. But, again, same thing. with The versatility, the willingness to uh, take on tasks that look pretty tough i mean he wasn't shying away from what was hard he wanted to contribute in whatever way he could and that's the kind of attitude at least when i was in charge that that allowed people to get ahead you've done you've told your hobby origin story and how you got into uh beckett media and the movement within is that you know once you get in Mm -hmm. then you the people hopefully are finding out what your what your best talents are and uh moving you around to to your place of, of maximum value so i'm happy to see jeremy's success yeah, Jeremy's a great guy. Uh, this is a great question
1: here. Robert wants to know, uh, do you still price cards in your, in your own collection? Do you still take time to sit down and price
0: a card? Uh, of course. Of but, course. But, but, but Not academically. First of all, was the question you just asked me before, was that from a Jay Murray? No, it was Jay. <laughs> Mr.
1: Murray is actually on vacation, so I know he no, he's, back. he's
0: back. <laughs> he's back. I Actually, he <laughs> had an interchange with him today. Okay, no. so, so your question was, I, I'm sorry. Uh, do you, do you still, price oh, do still price cards? Yes, I do. Uh, but so, again, not evidently. You
1: like no, why I
0: mean I'm not doing it for fun. I mean, basically, when I I, I got a, a small account on ComC a number of years ago, and that in the early days when they had a tie-in with Beckett Media, and so when you went to price your card that you that you put up on on ComC, it would tell you what the the OPG price was, and you could say I want to be that price or a little more, a little less, whatever. And so I'm not saying I was lazy, but I just you know that was. So I wasn't really pricing cards as much as I was just kind of going by my my old, my history, my memory. But then that went away. And when that went away, I thought, you know, now I've really got to price my cards. Mm-hmm. And so I found out that even though I've forgotten some things, there's a lot I haven't forgotten. And I certainly am forgotten what's tougher and what's easier. And so I priced a little more by feel. I'll occasionally look something up, but most of the time I'm kind of winging it. And so uh, what I've learned from Com C is that if you price it too low uh, that is very it's gone Right, <laughs> it's absolutely. Gone. and if you price it too high it sits here and so then right. you're paying storage and so so i'm that's kind of what i'm doing so in that in that mid-range of cards where i send stuff to com c it's kind of fun to see what sells and what doesn't sell and so if i were going to do a price guide now i'd have a pretty good feel for at least all the stuff that i'm sending to com c which is you know a certain kind of stuff sure absolutely with that being said
1: what are you what are you collecting now? It, has your has your collecting pattern changed at all or do you still like the stuff you liked back when this started?
0: Well, before it started in the 70s I was like everybody else. I was trying to complete sets and so but again, once you get all the sets of the sets that people used to go after in those days and then and then instead of going beyond that, I kind of got into the price guides and so I kind of stopped collecting in that way and just kind of mm-hmm. put my stuff on hold and I frankly even sold some stuff long long ago just to just to not have it, but I got, and Rich has talked about this. I, I, I kind of thought, you know, if I'm going to do price guides, and we're really going to be comprehensive. We want to be the leader in the industry. I ought to get some type cards because talking to, you know, putting prices on cards you've never seen and, uh, and putting them in an almanac or some other price guide where you don't even have a copy of the card, you know, it's just, so mm-hmm. I would, so Rich and I, especially Rich, when we were at the nationals, if we saw something we didn't have, and it, they weren't super expensive in those days, but we we'd pick up a copy of something that we hadn't seen. And so I was. I, so my long answer is, I became more of a type card collector. All mm-hmm. along, I've loved Clemente, and right. and and I have a few local players that I kind of make sure I have enough to be able to show somebody if they come over. And you've seen I have a little bit of a wall of fame where I've just it's one card per player, so it's not a lot in depth. If somebody really wanted to see more of something, I could dig them out. But you know, most people don't want to see. A thousand different of a certain card, right? And I don't have a thousand different of everybody, but if but I probably have a thousand different Emmett Smiths. I'm mm. not even sure Emmett would want to see a thousand different Emmett Smiths. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Although Emmett might be that one
1: one it's rare guy who possible. understands. <laughs> Actually,
0: he would want to. He would want to pick them up and take him to his parents' card shop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going.